Hey, hey, everybody. What's up? Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchuk alongside Stephen Trinkwald. So we're going to kind of change things up a little bit. We had a few weeks of exciting WNBA free agency action. And now that the uh, dust has somewhat settled here, we're going to kind of take a look at what each of the teams have done so far and give them our grades on an A to F basis, uh, because that seems like the cool thing to do right now. Very much in vogue, uh, handing out grades, and we are not creative enough to think of other content <laughs> to do. So uh, did you have any, like, I guess, uh, rubric that you were grading on or, or any, like, uh, format that you kind of went in looking at, at what these teams did? So, like, it's kind of interesting because we're doing a free agency recap and grading thus far. There are still some players who need to be signed. There are still some, you know, moves that, like, for example, the Dallas Wings, they have, like, five draft picks within the top 13 picks in this draft. That's obviously, that's going to change. Um, so I tried to evaluate it based on what we've seen so far and grades can change based on, you know, things that can happen in the future. But at the same time, I also looked at not just WNBA free agency signings that will impact this season, but moving forward as well. For example, like how many teams signed long-term protected contracts versus how many teams, you know, left themselves more open in the future. Big shout out once again to her hoop stats, by the way, for uh, providing all this information year by year and in an accessible manner. It's very, 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 very helpful, you know, not just for us as podcasters, but for the game and the community as well. Did you have any, um, how how did you kind of go through this? Yeah, same. I I tried to, you know, evaluate what was available for them. Not every team had kind of the same opportunities in terms of what they could do, how whatever they did set them up for the short term. And then if they kind of really got themselves in a bind long term as well. With that being said, uh, let's get started. We'll go alphabetically here with the Atlanta Dream. They brought in Cheyenne Parker, Tiana Hawkins, and signed Yvonne Turner to a training camp contract. They lost Benajah Laney and Glory Johnson. And still left to be decided for them. They have 13 players under contract currently, including training camp deals, but not including the number three pick in the draft or Blake Dietrich or Kayla Davis, who are both restricted free agents. I imagine those there will probably be some interest for them to bring at least one of those players back. So some roster decisions still to be made with them. What have you thought of their offseason so far? Uh, I think they've had a pretty solid one. You know, uh, they entered it in kind of an interesting situation. And I'm going to be saying that for a lot of teams. I mean, each of these teams going through that. And before we, I kind of dive into this, that's another thing I w- wanted to say. A lot of these teams are in very different situations. Like they had to approach things differently. So, I mean, you can't, I don't think you can give just a down, down, down the, uh, down the ladder there or CCCC or anything like that. But taking into account the dream situation, I give them a B plus because they made two front court signings that have pretty undeniably improving the t- improved the team, right? With Parker and Hawkins, pretty straightforward stuff without really, you know, hog tying themselves in the future. Yes. You know, they probably won't be a contender this season, but I think they're headed in the right direction. There is kind of this weird fit they have in the backcourt going on with Courtney Williams, uh, Tiffany Hayes and Kennedy Carter, but I don't think they could really have fixed that in one fell swoop without, you know, trading Hayes and they obviously don't want to do that and they signed two front court players who are about as good of a fit as you can reasonably ask with that backcourt what do you what do you think about that yeah I agree with you I'm I don't think those two players are or Parker in particular is a great fit with their existing front court player and uh franchise stalwart Elizabeth Williams but uh you know Williams just has one more year on her deal so so maybe those two won't be playing together that long but 
Yeah, I went with a a B for this team. It, it's a little hard, I guess, to kind of see the direction of this franchise for me. Like the last two off seasons, they've they've kind of tried to avoid the full rebuild. And obviously, I didn't really weigh last off seasons moves into this off season. But you know, over the course of of those two seasons, they brought in four big money multi year contracts, right? In Williams and Strickland last season, Parker and Hawkins this off season. And it obviously didn't really make a difference for them last year, uh, of course, because of the absence of some of the players that they had. And we still really haven't seen like the Hayes and, and Williams pairing, but it doesn't really make a ton of sense in theory. So they're trying to kind of, while they still were able to get a great pick with number four uh, last offseason in Carter. And, you know, I think they're probably thanking Indiana for, for that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so bringing in Cheyenne Parker and Tiana Hawkins this year, I think, definitely is a great fit for you know the the development of Kennedy Carter and after this coming season the only contracts they're going to have on their books is is Carter on her rookie scale deal and then Cheyenne Parker for two more seasons they'll also have Hawkins unprotected if they want you know to move on from her if it doesn't work for whatever reason and then whatever combination of uh, Brewer, Kalani Brown, Kazorla, and Pivik, who, you know, some of those players I imagine won't even be on the roster this year, but but none of those players, you know, they're going to be locked into. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Do you think like Parker for this team makes more sense than like bringing back Benajah Laney? Yes, because yeah. I don't know. Look at what New York threw at Laney. I mean, she got the, the full protected max, right? I, I don't think, I don't think it would have been a good idea to throw such a contract at somebody coming off not just a career year, but like a lifetime year. You know what I'm saying? The fit with her, Williams, you know, Hayes, Carter, that was already kind of weird. Um, and you said, you said it previously, you said it, you said it well. I think um, if you have the opportunity to edge and Parker, you do it. Yeah, uh, um, I agree with myself. Um, <laughs> but the, the thing about Lainey, you know, she is, you know, a natural three where, where Williams and Tiffany Hayes, I guess Strickland is, is a natural three, but Williams and Hayes, those two players are going to want to play together. We'll, we'll see if one of them can kind of scale up to the three. I imagine it'll be Hayes taking on that assignment. I, um, I hear what you're saying about Lainey, and I agree with you to some extent, as we'll get to with the, the New York grade that we'll get to, but I, I kind of feel the same way about Parker. Like, I'm not sure that Cheyenne Parker is a slam dunk max player. She in my opinion, is a little bit too limited defensively at the most important defensive position. I mean, I guess we'll, we'll have to see whether, you know, they they play a ton of Parker-Elizabeth-Williams combinations a lot. You know, the the optionality they have with Tiana Hawkins to, to play next to one of those players is, is really nice to give you a spacing element. And maybe Parker continues to develop as a three-point shooter. But, you know, she's definitely going to help in Carter's development. And I think that's the most important thing for this franchise here. So I, I didn't think it was a, a home run of an offseason, but I did give them a B. Okay, cool. Shall we move on to Chicago? Sure. They obviously, as we all know, brought in Candace Parker. They also brought in Brittany Boyd on a training camp contract. They extended Azra Stevens for one year. Uh, so far, they lost Cheyenne Parker to the aforementioned Dream, and we assume Sydney Colson probably will not be back as well. Uh, still left to be decided for these folks. Uh, they have 11 players on roster before their number eight pick in this coming draft. That seems to pretty much be all that's left to figure it out is who's going to make that final 11th roster spot between Brittany Boyd, Stephanie Mavunga. Maybe Ruthie Hebert is in that mix for not making the final spot. I imagine she'll be on this team next year. Uh, any additional kind of training camp contracts to be brought in to compete for that backup spot. So spoiler alert, I gave the Chicago Sky an A+. Plus. I actually give him an A minus. <laughs> okay. 
why, why were you maybe a little bit lower on it than me? Um, well, first, let me let me say why I like it. Obviously, swapping Cheyenne Parker for Gannis Parker is a massive upgrade, and it's not like the Sky were really locked into an Albatross contract there either. I mean, Parker is signed for a lot of money, guaranteed, but it's only for two years. So, you know, if if she gets old, she gets old, you know. And what I like about this, heading into the offseason, I know I've said this before, but I think it applies here too. I didn't really think there was as, there was much the team could do to improve the front court besides just re-signing Cheyenne Parker. So I was kind of a little low on their flexibility to do it, to do anything. Now that that has changed pretty tremendously, I think it opens the door for additional moves, which I, I think we are going to see um, another move coming up. I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying it, it could happen. Um, so yeah, the only thing that kept this from an A or an A plus for now, and this is where I, this is where the uh, future moves come in. So this could be bumped up to an A plus is the little pick swap they did with Dallas because simply because I like the 2022 class a lot more than the 2021 class. So in a vacuum, I dislike the move. However, I don't think they make that move if they don't have something else set up in the future. So maybe like Stephanie Dolson plus a draft pick for something else or someone else, you know, something like that. Um, By the way, I also think that extending Azra Stevens was a really sharp move because there's a lot to address next off season. So you've got, Courtney Vandersloot, Ellie Quigley, Stephanie Dolson, and Kelly Acapper are all unrestricted free agents. And then you're going to have to make a decision on DeShields and Williams as well. You can only have six guaranteed contracts. That's already, you've already got Steven, you've already got Stevens and Parker. So assuming that Vanderquigs takes two uh, guaranteed contracts, Copper, probably another one. Then you have to make a decision on DeShields and Williams. So they're not, they made the decision for themselves. Azri Stevens would definitely have been making or asking for more than 140K if she hit the market next offseason. So summing it up, I think pending that, uh, that next move, seeing what happens with this draft pick, I easily have no problem moving this up to an A+, plus, but A- minus for now. Yeah, I definitely agree with you with the, the Stevens extension. You know, As you were alluding to, their books are very, very empty after this season with just Candace Parker and now Stevens under contract for next year. And Stevens, a one-year $140,000 protected extension. I think it's a really solid move for both sides, right? Like it gives Chicago one less thing to have to figure out after the season, which they're going to have to figure out a lot, as you were just alluding to. And Stevens, it, it gives her a little bit of injury security. You know, she has missed a bulk of the last two seasons and if she puts together a healthy season she almost certainly would have had like a bigger offer out there after this season but it is only a one-year deal and a couple healthy productive seasons in a row will bring her to unrestricted free agency in her age 26 season you know so it's not like she's locking herself into this huge uh, long-term undervalued contract uh, so I, th- I think it, it makes a lot of sense for both sides and I went with such a high grade because they're as you were alluding to, there was not really a ton of avenues for this team to just kind of maximize their window that they're in. You know, Vanderquigs are, are both kind of getting up there in age and this franchise with everything that they're going to have to address next offseason is perhaps coming to a bit of a crossroads and bringing in Candace Parker to take a swing at, you know, just maximizing this group's ceiling, I think is is a home run move. And, you know, they they have lineup options and and positional versatility pretty much at every position except you know the point guard in terms of like depth and and stuff like that which could be important I think come playoff time and you know maybe you can say that Chicago before free agency like really kind of got underway like 
could have been more aggressive in trying to move Dolson before Cheyenne Parker left. Um, but, you know, I'm not even really sure I would like a, a Parker-Parker pairing more than like a, a Dolson-Parker pairing. Uh, and I don't think either one of those, like, I don't think that pairing is going to close games for them necessarily, but you are going to have to play that combination together a little bit, you know what I mean? But, right. And we've talked a lot about kind of what Dolson does for them offensively, even given all of her like defensive limitations. So I think I'm fine with them holding on to Dolson for now. It, it seems like with the move that you had alluded to with the pick swap, uh, um, another move might be on the way. But even if it's not, you know, I I do think Dolson is a nice kind of uh, third big in, in their rotation and, and unlocks kind of a lot of what bench units can look like offensively in terms of her screening and off ball screening, specifically her passing, her shooting, you know, she, she is a really valuable offensive player and she's a very specific player, but I think sure. with how poor the offense has been over the past few years with Courtney Vandersloot sitting, like maybe a, a Dolson Parker pairing can kind of open things up a, a little bit offensively. So, and to be honest, like I, I'm sure Cheyenne Parker was just ready to be a full-time starter somewhere. And I'm not sure that would have been the case if, you know, it was Cheyenne Parker and Candace Parker and Azra that, Stevens. That's a good point. Because you saw towards the end of the season, James Wade was playing musical chairs with the front court. So I don't think he would be he would be above doing that again. If I mean, you signed Candace Parker. So if, if Cheyenne Parker, if the minutes weren't there, like, okay, let's move on your merry way, you know? Yeah, yep. And this team, they took a big swing for sure. Um, there's, I guess, a chance that age just kind of catches up to Candace Parker and, and it doesn't work out. But it, it's more than just signing like the biggest name out there, right? The, the biggest name out there also happens to be a player who really improves the specific areas that have like held this team back from, from legitimate championship contention. So I have to give him an A+. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I like that logic. Okay, moving on. Um, your Connecticut son... Yes. Okay. They, let, let me just run through it real quick. So yeah. they didn't bring in too many players necessarily, but um, they re-signed Jasmine Thomas, Alyssa Thomas, and Bree Jones. They did bring in a couple of training camp contracts so far in Morgan Birch, Sydney Wallace, and Kamaya Smalls. And they also re-signed Natisha Heideman and Beatrice Montpremier to training camp contracts. They have lost uh, so far in free agency, or at least some of these players are assumed to be gone. Uh, Bria Holmes, Kalina Mosqueda-Lewis, Essence Carson, and Teresa Plaisance. And still left to be decided for them is just kind of figuring out which of their, like what four of their five training camp contracts on the roster are going to make the team. Um, so sorry for interrupting you, but it seemed like you had something to say. I did. Um, I mean, just the order we're going in, you should have, you had the right of way anyway. But um, this was a really tough situation for me to grade because, I don't know, they just entered free agency in a really bad spot. You know, like Alyssa Thomas needed to be resigned, but she's not going to be playing this season. So if they said, okay, we're going to resign you, but we have to suspend you for cap reasons, then she'll probably just say, well, forget you. I'm, I'm going to go to a team that can pay me to sit out. So they're going to be paying their, their best player, or their second best player. It's, I think it's close in order to sit out. That's already a problem as far as cap reasons are concerned. So I gave them a B plus because maybe I was a little sympathetic to that situation. I like the re-signing of Jasmine Thomas, because, I mean, they kind of had to do it. Uh, the re-signing of Brianna Jones, I thought it was good value, because they're paying her 120 k for after the season she had last season. was It's pretty good value, I think. But, you know, how does she fit with John Quell? That's, that's my main question. I also like letting Bria Holmes walk, even for the vet minimum, because, I don't know, like they replace her with a couple spot up shooters. You assume one of Smalls or Wallace is going to make this team, and both of their respective strengths are outside shooting. So I, I like kind of letting a player 
who isn't a really good outside shooter walk in exchange for bringing in a couple of good outside shooters, let them battle it out in training camp. So, cause you, you, you can't have that many players to get ignored on the perimeter. And I think Kyla Charles may be able to just do what Bria Holmes does. If not better, just as well. And for less money. So I don't really have a problem with what Connecticut did, honestly. Like, what else could they have done? I could see – I mean, I would have liked them to sign a stretch four, a true stretch four, but there's a chance that Morgan Birch has become that player looking at her stats from overseas. So, like, I don't, I don't mind it. It's a, it's a difficult situation for sure. So I was a little sympathetic. I gave him a B plus. I'm guessing you were a little lower. I was a little lower. Uh, I didn't kill him, I, I don't think. But the, the big concern for me for this team is going to be next offseason when John Quill Jones is up for a new deal. And assuming they want to re-sign her for the super max and hold on to Bree Jones's contract for that second year, they're going to have just over 68000 per roster spot mm-hmm. if they only want to play 11 players. So they're going to have almost no path to bringing back Bree on January or really any real veteran that can help this team. So even if they decide to roll with 11 players next season and fill out five of those six open roster spots with rookie minimums, they're going to have just over 95 K for their last player. And I think we've seen like, like one kind of valued veteran in Raquana Williams signed for about that much money this off season. And everyone else is either taking, you know, hundred K plus deals or like signing a minimum contract. So well, salary cap is going up next season too. So I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's true, but this is with next, next, uh, seasons, gotcha. Salary cap that that I'm kind of doing this math, but but they're going to have even less than that if one of those minimum players I mentioned is not a minimum and is just a first round pick in, instead. So, uh, so yeah, we we can both agree that Bree Jones is just like in a vacuum a good value in terms of like her average annual salary. Like I think she's better than Natalie Chanwa who got paid significantly more. Like I think she's better than Amanda Zawibi who got paid more. I think she's better than Tiana Hawkins, who got more, although that is an, an unprotected contract. Like, I, I think she's better at this point than Jontel Lavender, who almost got a max deal. Like, Jessica Breland got more annually, although on a one-year unprotected deal. So, like, she's better than all those players, in my opinion. But, you know, some of those players also nominally kind of space the floor and have a little bit more kind of lineup flexibility to them. Um, but once again, we're, we're just brought back to the fact that they signed their backup center to – 120k protected for two years when their franchise player plays the same position and is up for a new contract and they had to dish out two other max contracts this offseason along with Dewana Bonner being on the higher maximum so they, they've kind of backed themselves into a corner I think and unless they can find a taker for Bree Jones in the next like in season or in the next offseason or they just have a lot of faith in kind of rolling with a, a very inexpensive supporting cast, which, you know, I think would make more sense if you're able to bring back like uh Breon January, which they're, they're not going to be able to do. But so with, with that being said, like, I'll just quickly mention like the Jasmine Thomas and Alyssa Thomas deals, I think are, are good. Like Alyssa Thomas coming in so much lower than I expected. I did expect her to just get the, the full super max. I guess that, that kind of offsets Jasmine Thomas's number being a little bit higher than I would have anticipated. So for now, I'm just going with a straight C. Okay. See average, average mm-hmm. across the board. Yeah. Okay, and I because I do think the the Bree Jones deal is you know it, it's not bad, right? Like she's no, it, it's a great value for what she produced last season. It's just it, it doesn't really make sense for kind of the rest of what this team should be doing. I, you know, now that you mentioned, I'm I'm kind of interested to know. I would be interested to know rather who offered her. You know, because somebody had to have offered her more money than 120 thousand a year, right? 
maybe it was like a one-year deal, although she's, she was a restricted free agent, so it couldn't have been a one-year deal. So right. maybe it was just an unprotected deal or, or something could've like been. that. Could have been. Okay, well, interesting uh, stuff going forward there. We'll keep an eye on it. And yeah, looking at the cap, my God, Alyssa Thomas is going to be paid a lot of money in the coming years. Same with Bonner. So it'll be interesting to see what they do there. Want to move on to Dallas? Yeah, so far they have kind of brought in, quote-unquote, uh, the number one overall pick. They uh, re-signed their restricted free agent, Alicia Gray, and they also signed Kayla Thornton to an extension. And really all they've lost in terms of their roster uh, from last season is, is trading Katie Lou Samuelson for that number one pick. Uh, and a lot to be decided for them because they currently have 11 players on roster with five picks in the top 13 of the draft. I think it's kind of assumed that they will waive Megan Gustafson. And she's kind of the only player now that Katie Lou's gone, who's like really the only clear part of this roster aside from the protected veterans that kind of don't fit into the, uh, at least immediately, like don't naturally kind of fit into the long-term plans of this team. Like I think it's too right. early or the other players are just too productive to, to kind of want to do that. So what what have you thought of the the Dallas Wings offseason so far? Uh, I gave them an A minus. Maybe I'm a little kind there. Like there's, there's not a lot going on as far in the, free agency part itself. I mean, okay, they had one free agent to make a decision on and she was restricted and they had plenty of, cap- of space to bring her back and she's not even making max money. So good call, right? We're both big fans of Alicia Gray on this pod and like, okay, you extended Kayla Thornton, which might not have been necessary, but like if this franchise has a vet who actually wants to stay, okay, go for it. I think actually the the majority of my my points for the Wings got, uh, came from acquiring the number one overall pick for Katie Lou Samuelson. Not only like, okay, again, I said it last week. I'll say it again. There are not zero players in this draft class who are better than Katie Lou Samuelson. That's just my opinion, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. It also makes it a lot easier to part ways with the number two pick or like the rest of their picks if the opportunity arises. And I think it will arise and it has to arise because Steven, like, like I said, they have what five of the top 13 picks and even if they waive Megan Gustafson, that puts them at 10 players heading into the draft. I don't think, like, any international players on this, like, maybe Estu and Du sits out the season or something like that. Maybe she gets suspended or something like that. But, like, I'm still waiting on this team to make a move that clearly puts them in the playoff on, you know? they Once again, they've got a bo- this boatload of picks, but this doesn't really help them past, you know, pick number five or something like that. They've got three highly touted rookies from last season that they're not just going to cut in favor of this class's rookies. I think this whole asset accumulation was pretty clearly for like some massive trade package that they wanted to put together. But until that happens, it's not doing anything for them, you know? So I don't know, like it's kind of an interesting twist here, I think, because they've got two of their best players, arguably, you know, in uh, Ogumbawale and Sabali, making minimum contracts and two players who didn't really play that much last year in Jefferson and do making a ton of money on guaranteed contracts. So that's from last off season, but it is going to be something that affects them in the near future as well. I don't think anybody is going to be taking either of those contracts. Maybe they'll, somebody will take the Izzy Harrison contract. What do you think? I mean, if I'm Indiana, I will gladly bring in a student do or Izzy Harrison or Mariah Jefferson for both picks five and seven you know, maybe you can try and push for number two, but if, you know, if Dallas just won't do that, like I think five and seven is a good deal for those players when you're Indiana and you are 
not really going to be going anywhere this season and you can use as many bites as the apple as you can but the thing is is like indiana might be dallas's only outlet for such a deal like anybody else like new york for example like they might have to believe that a student do is an upgrade over Kia Stokes and maybe she would be for their system, you know, cause she can space the floor a little bit, but they have to believe that to kind of take that increase in salary uh, in, into their books. And then they would have to believe that the middle of the first round of this class, and they already have the number six pick uh, is better than some of the players that they already have in house that are, were on their roster full of rookies from last year. So, you know, they, they have to Dallas, I'm, I'm speaking now, they, they have to want to kind of package some of those picks into shedding some of these contracts because they just, they, they can't use all of these draft picks, even from, even if you just said, you know what, we'll eat the money and, and waive some of these players on two year deals. Uh, they, they don't even have the cap space to do that and bring in all of those picks. So I mean, even from a best case scenario, let's say they're they're not able to kind of shed those salaries or make the kind of blockbuster trade that I think folks are kind of keeping an eye on them to make. Like you're looking at a best case scenario of drafting a walk queer with one of those first two picks and having her stay overseas in 2021. And who knows right. if, if she wants to do that. And then, you know, Gustafson is being waived and, and then you can actually afford to draft and keep three other first round picks. Uh-huh. You only have the roster space for two of them, um, but at least you can afford to, to draft all three if you ended up, you know, waiving one of your protected contracts and, you know, you can bring in all three of those rookies and then push off any kind of tough decisions for one more year. You know, I, I think that's worst case scenario for them, but, you know, this team, I think even with LA and Vegas uh, having some stuff to still figure out, this, this is the team, I think the closest thing to like an incomplete grade that we have yeah. kind of, doing this because they just poss- they can't possibly like keep this roster and set of picks without doing something major and if no one's willing to play ball like they're in for an even bigger bind next offseason so and the you know the thing that uh, maybe doesn't even need to be said but like none of these protected veterans we're talking about here and and you know we're not including gray and thornton in this conversation but none of those other three were like even productive enough in 2020 even if you think they can play, like you don't have outstanding confidence because of their 2020 and 2019 seasons with the exception of do, I guess in 2019 to feel good about them being productive, not this year, but the following season is kind of mm-hmm. what I'm getting at here. So, you know, they're, they're in a tough situation, but they also did still uh, trade Katie Lou Samuelson for the number one pick. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, with the hard cap is like all of these teams are already going to be in such a bind kind of going in, with less than 12 players that like you just, you have to believe, like I was kind of saying with New York, that one of these players is a better option than someone you have on roster. Like you can't just make the move for, from like a salary play. So, you know, they have a lot of, to figure out and there's not a ton of kind of clear pathways to make that happen, but they did get the number one pick for Katie Lou Samuelson, a player who probably would have been available for the number 11 pick or the number 13 pick. Uh, so I gave him a B plus. Okay, fair enough. And that was a good breakdown as far as uh, the salary is concerned. I guess the good news for the Wings is, like, they're not going to have any decisions to make next offseason either regarding, like, Ogunba Wale or, or Harris or, or, or any of these players that they consider to be a big part of their future. So it's not like they need to unload one of these guaranteed contracts right now ASAP. But, yeah, very interesting stuff. Going, I, I just, I'm just really interested to see what these, this draft, uh, draft pick situation is like. Because, like I said – They've got all these assets, but like when you can't use all of them, I don't know. But okay, moving on to Indiana. Um, yeah, let's move on to the Fever. They uh, they have re-signed John Tell Lavender. They brought in Danielle Robinson. They have signed 
Jessica Breland. They traded their second round pick next year for Minnesota's first round pick next year for the favor of taking on the Odyssey Sims contracts and, and getting that off Minnesota's books. They signed Chantel Molina to a training camp contract and they traded the number 14 pick for Lindsey Allen and the number 24 pick. Uh, they also lost in free agency Erica Wheeler, Natalie Chanwa, Candice Dupree, and Kamaya Smalls. And still left to be decided for these folks is Julie coming over next season and, you know, just kind of who's going to make the team. And, you know, regardless of Alamad's decision, decision, it's hard seeing all three of Allen, Doyle, and Molina making this team. So let, let's start with the good. Getting a decent asset for the favor of taking Odyssey Sims is the type of thing that this team should be doing, I think. And as we alluded to in the uh, last team, you know, they should call Dallas today and see how they can help get Dallas out of their own roster and pick crunch. I think waving Sims after the trade is a good decision for them and something this team should be doing in terms of, you know, not focusing too much on the immediate. I think letting Dupree and Wheeler and Achanwa all find homes in more competitive situations is something this team should be doing. And, and I think that was good for them, but getting to the bad now, like signing players over 30 to three year protected deals is not what this team should be doing. Like bringing in Jessica Breland, even for an unprotected deal probably isn't what this team should be doing. Like, unless she's just going to be this great locker room presence. And more importantly, you know, can actually just teach these young bigs how to play uh, good defense, but the long-term deals uh, for D Rob and for John Tell Lavender, like these veterans are still going to be on the books when they need to make free agency decisions on Kelsey Mitchell, on Victoria Vivians, on Tierra McCowan, on Kennedy Burke, on Julie Alamond. And even more so than that, it's just, you know, as we've talked about before, in my opinion, is a misevaluation of kind of where this team is from, from a roster standpoint to kind of be competitive and, and really push for a playoff spot unless you kind of really want to just sneak into the eighth seed. And, and even then, I, I just don't think that's really where this team is right now. And it's also hard to see like either of those two veterans, like never mind their age and kind of where they are in their careers and how much money they make for how long, like their basketball fit, you know, probably D Rob, I guess a little bit more than Lavender, but Lavender to some extent as well. Like they don't even make sense from a roster standpoint with the building blocks they have in this team and the players that this team should be focusing on. So mm -hmm. I went with a D plus, you know, if they, they play their hand as the only team that can really eat some of Dallas's contracts and are able to extract some pretty good picks in exchange for that favor. You know, this grade can definitely go up some, but it doesn't really seem like that's, you know, outside of, uh, you know, the Sims deal, which I think is a little bit easier to do because that was a one-year deal and these other contracts are, are two years. Uh, and it doesn't look like this team really has kind of that long-term vision of, of being bad for a couple of years to focus on the future of this franchise in terms of like a uh, talent acquisition. It just doesn't seem like that's something that they'd be interested in doing, but they are the only team I think that's kind of a natural landing spot for Dallas. So, so maybe they're able to, you know, get even the number two pick or, or even the five and seven is all that they can get. I think that's a good piece of business for them. But for now I went with the D plus. You make a very compelling argument uh, for a lower grade. I went with a C, but maybe that's a little too forgiving. I, I think Indiana's offseason started very poorly because they invested three years guaranteed money in Daniel Robinson and Gentle Lavender. Um, and I, I don't really have anything to add to what you just said. We've both talked about this plenty already. Maybe makes it a little better short-term, but they could very well turn into bad long-term contracts. Uh, on the other hand, I think the Jessica Breland deal was okay because it's for one year. It's not guaranteed. 
And I really do believe in the whole uh, mentorship aspect of this deal. I don't know. You can't really put a, put a price on that, but looking at the young players on this roster, McCowan and Cox, who they very clearly value highly in their future, having a player who is a vet, who knows how to take care of herself, not just on the court, but off the court as well. Um, just to kind of bring her in and, and, and mentor those players that I don't think is the kind of, I don't think that's in the same category as like the Lavender or Robinson deals. Yeah, I agree with you. And I really, really, really liked the, uh, the Sims thing because they basically got a 2022 first round pick, which is a very good asset to have and a decent front court player in Tebby Fegbet. And I'm like, I don't know if she's going to play there or not, but in exchange for a 2022 second round pick and eating Odyssey Sims salary, they were in a position where they could eat Sims a salary. They could have kept her, but at the same time, it's like they didn't need her. You know, I mean, she'd just leave next offseason anyway, probably. So this is a very forward-thinking move. I agree with you. I agree with you in that they should have made more types of moves like this, but I don't know. Maybe they just weren't out there. I really didn't like how the fever started this offseason. I think they ended it. I mean, it's not over yet, but I think they have gone up a little bit. But we really do need to see how these Lavender and Robinson contracts end up because the process was not impressive. Let's move on to Las Vegas, who had themselves a busy offseason. They brought in Chelsea Gray. They brought in Raquana Williams. They have Cord, but have not yet signed Liz Cambage. They extended Dierka Hamby for one year uh, for less than she's currently making, which I think was very interesting. Uh, they lost Kayla McBride and Lindsay Allen in the move we discussed earlier. And still left to be decided for these folks signing Liz Cambage and filling out the rest of their roster. If they sign Cambage to her maximum, uh, they'll be able to fill out their roster with their first round pick and the number 14 pick they got from Indiana. So I guess it, it kind of comes down to, you know, we, we talked a lot about Raquana Williams. Not a lot about it. We talked briefly about Raquana Williams kind of uh, substituting the, the Sugar Rogers role and, you know, hopefully doing a little bit more than that as well and, and how that was a good upgrade um, for Vegas. So, so I think the, the grade really comes down to, you know, what, like if Liz is coming back and what you think of yep. uh, swapping Kayla McBride for Chelsea Gray. So what did you think about swapping Kayla McBride for Chelsea Gray? I liked it. I give the aces a B plus, And a lot of that is hinging on, well, we've only got eight players under contract right now. Um, losing McBride, not a deal obviously. And it's not like they didn't have the money to bring her back either. Um, but I think it was pretty clear that she was done in Vegas. And I mean, Hey, they got Chelsea Gray. They got a, an elite playmaker. So that, you know, while we, while we might uh, wring our hands at the uh, Chelsea Gray shot profile, um, which does not help the aces any, obviously um, she does bring a very valuable skill in that she can run a team very skillfully at the point guard position and just make tremendous plays for others. I think that's something that the Aces, you know, they were kind of lacking previously. Um, like I said, the roster is still pretty incomplete, but looking at what they've done so far, I mean, they signed an elite point guard. They gave a very valuable player into Erica Hamby, who would have definitely commanded more than the money she got in 20, uh, like she'd be making in 2022, had she reached that free agency period. Like you said, making less than she's making now, which is very interesting. And then the, the Raquana Williams move was just spot on. I mean, even if it doesn't work out, the process behind that deal, another player who is actually making less than she was making last season. So that's, that's interesting. Um, it's unprotected money. It's one year. It fills an enormous need in that, A, you've got a really good spot-up shooter on the wing. So, I mean, I, regardless, I, I think if Campe is re-signs for this season, 
They probably have the best seven player rotation of the like top seven players, if not the best, like the second best. And if that happens or when that happens, I'm definitely moving them to an A. Yeah, I had an A minus for them. Uh, I think in in some ways, like Gray fits what they want to do offensively more than McBride does. Like she'll be more of a threat getting the rest of the team out in transition. Like she's obviously much more of a table setter for this team's kind of three really great scoring options in McCautry, Wilson, and Cambage than McBride was obviously. But, you know, McBride probably gave those three players more space to operate, obviously, like as an off-ball threat, uh, someone you absolutely don't want to leave. So, you know, with everything that went down this offseason, I I think this team, in my opinion, is the championship favorite. But I think I would have felt that way, you know, if they were – bringing everybody back, including Cambage, and, you know, with Kayla McBride and a healthy Kelsey Plum, you know, so for me, it's less about Gray specifically, but I do think she brings like a really nice element, obviously, as as someone who is answering, someone who's going to answer the questions that they kind of had at point guard with, you know, Jackie Young developing more into a wing and Kelsey Plum obviously coming off a very serious injury, you know, D-Rob moving on. So with that being said, like they didn't really make any mistakes, right? Like they chose... Chelsea Gray over Kayla McBride and Gray is younger and she plays a different role and she was obviously very valued by this organization. So I kind of struggled whether to give them a B plus or an A minus. And I think my ultimate grade is probably going to end up on whether Cam Beige comes over uh, this season, like, or, or not comes over because that's, that's kind of her choice, but whether she kind of wants to stay there for the long term or whether she maybe just kind of signs her qualifying offer or her, her core designation contract in, uh, just kind of plays for one year again. But for now, I'll, I'll go with an A minus and, you know, maybe it's uh, an A plus if Liz signs for three years and, you know, kind of commits to this team. And maybe it'll be a B plus if she kind of only signs for one year and, and her future's kind of still up in the air. But this team should be very good, I'll say. Yeah, very good. Very good. Okay. Uh, moving on to the LA Sparks. Uh, yikes. Yeah, uh, a little bit of a different story with LA. They, for now, have retained Neka Ogumike. Uh They have re-signed Brittany Sykes as well. They signed Erica Wheeler, Amanda Zowie B, and Bria Holmes. And they also, it has been reported that they will be re-signing Simone Augustus. Uh, They lost Candace Parker, Chelsea Gray, and Raquana Williams. And still left to be decided is actually signing NECA and Shanae Ogumake. I think it is noteworthy that that these players, NECA specifically, have not signed their contracts yet because it was announced really, really early, like January 27th, I think it was, according to Across the Timeline, that NECA had agreed to a multi-year deal with LA, and it still hasn't become official yet. So I don't think that's nothing. Didn't, didn't Derek Fisher say something about like, yeah, we wanted her to explore free agency or, you know, something weird like that. You want to get first crack at this? Sure. So obviously this team lost Candace Parker and Chelsea Gray. From my perspective, they kind of had two paths from there, which is blow it up. You know, you get what you can get for the valuable veterans that you have on roster. Neko Gumike and Christy Tolliver specifically, but also I think Sydney Weiss probably falls into that category as well. You know, she, I'm sure, has some sort of market out there as a, a trade piece. And the other path is the one that they went with, which is kind of retool with some available veterans and just try to be as competitive as possible as a service to those veterans, perhaps, the ones that you have on roster, as well as, you know, maybe, and I might be speaking a little bit out of pocket here, as, you know, the financial viability of this team to some degree in terms of, you know, you don't want to completely, quote-unquote, tank and, and just be terrible for a season. So so they chose that path. They brought in Erica Wheeler to start in the backcourt alongside Christy Tolliver. They signed Amanda Zowie B, obviously, who we presume, I think, for now, will come off the bench behind Neka and Shanae Okumike. 
both of those two players, Wheeler and Zowie B, on two-year protected contracts. I think they got a really good deal with Brittany Sykes, 110 unprotected. Like I would have thought there was a, more of a market out there for her, but maybe she, just, she loves LA. And, you know, I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of Brittany Sykes, but 110K unprotected is uh, a, a steal of a contract. So Especially after the year she had. Yeah, especially after the year she had. And, you know, I, I just don't really love the consolation prizes that they kind of brought in. Like I'm not a big believer in Erica Wheeler. Not a huge fan of Amanda Zowie B, though. You know, I'm a little bit more comfortable, obviously, with this role that Zowie B projects to be in than, you know, LA as kind of their best post player. I, I don't really know what the other options were. Like, I think I would have maybe liked Jasmine Thomas for this team more as a, a more kind of defensive-minded player who could defend either uh, guard spot next to a Christy Tolliver. I think even if Thomas is regarded as a worse offensive player than Erica Wheeler, like she she actually has been a more reliable spot-up shooter than Wheeler. Uh, even if, you know, reputation may dispute that, it, it's it's true. Like the, the numbers bear that out. Mm-hmm. If you want to kind of put the ball in Tolliver's hands a little bit more. And I, I just don't think the fit with Tolliver and Wheeler really makes all that much sense. But maybe a lot of that is just me being too low on, on Erica Wheeler. So her her shooting year over year is just too inconsistent. Her finishing inside is terrible. You know, her her good season, her all-star season, she was fourth percentile finishing around the basket in half court. Players who were worse than her were rookie Jackie Young, Brooke McCarty-Williams in her first year making a team, Kayla Davis in what may be ending up being her last year as a full-time WNBA player, Erica McCall in a rookie Alana Smith. So, And this is in Wheeler's best season. Um, so not a great threat inside. But, you know, if, if all goes well for this team, they, they should be a playoff team, maybe even host a playoff game in the first round. I, I could see them missing the playoffs, but, you know, I don't think I would bet on it. They should be one of the eight best teams. But for me, like... Uh, why I'm going to be a little bit harsher on this team is because if they bring back both the Gumakes, they'll likely have five protected contracts on the book for next year, making it very unlikely that they can kind of retool this roster and bring in, you know, maybe a star or two and what's looking like it could be a pretty good free agent class. And I think when you are LA, that's something that you should keep in mind. So, you know, may- maybe the Gumakes are kind of already out the door and-, and things just haven't been finalized yet. And this grade will be completely different when they have the first and second pick of the draft. But hopefully if that is the case, you know, Tolliver will be next and maybe Sykes and, and stuff like that too. But for now I went with a D uh, rather than D minus or an F because, you know, the Sykes deal was really good. Okay. Um, I went with the D plus. I, I thought I was being harsh, but I think I'm just a, I'm just a better grader than you. Uh, like this for, for what it's worth, this is my lowest grade of any team um, because they lost their two top playmakers for nothing zilch they still have yet to re-sign either agumake which i think is very interesting as you said and while there are reasons to not be in total hysterics for example like you said both zoe b and sykes you know being signed for less than expected and the sykes money not, not even being guaranteed which is strange um like the bria home signing probably making sydney weiss or trp expendable not they didn't really invest too much money in over the hill players but here's the thing about these moves, Stephen. These okay contracts are a direct result of them not being able to re-sign their own vastly superior free agents. I mean, if, you re- if you're able to keep both Candace Parker and Chelsea Gray, we're not talking about this. So, and, and as long as both Ogumakes remain unsigned, I can't give them anything higher than a D plus. I, I just can't. I, I mean, they're, look at the situation they were in last season and look at where they are now. It's not good. 
Let, let's move on to to Minnesota, who you know made some some pretty big splashes. Obviously, they brought in Kayla McBride, Ariel Powers, Natalie Chanwa. They signed Lene Harper to a training camp contract. They brought in Phoenix's first round pick and Indiana's sorry Phoenix's 2022 first round pick and Indiana's 2022 second round pick. They lost Odyssey Sims, Makia Herbert Harrigan, Erica McCall, uh, and then it's assumed that. Kayla Alexander and Shanice Johnson will not be back. What's still left to be decided for them is Cecilia Zandalassini coming over. Uh, they currently have 12 players under contract and their first round pick, not including uh, Zandalassini. So if they want to bring Zandy over or bring in some more point guard depth, Odyssey Sims, maybe they can, you know, easily move off of like Rachel Bantam's contract. It's, uh, you know, 100K plus in unprotected money. Um, I don't think Jessica Shepard is kind of too huge in, in their future. Uh, so they, she could be waived as well. But I mean, obviously this roster is going to look a, a little, a lot different than it did last year. What, what do you think about their kind of uh, retooling? I think it's, well, I mean, looking a lot different is, is definitely one way to put it. Um, they're loading up for it after kind of striking out on the stars last off season. And I think they made out pretty well. You know, this is now looking at this roster. It's a deep, versatile and talented team. Interestingly enough, I think it, they may still lack a superstar on the wing but they basically have everything else. I mean, I really like the contrasting games of McBride and Powers, at least on offense. Combine that with Crystal Dangerfield and Nafisa Collier, this Lynx team can now hurt you in so many different ways offensively. And then as far as the Chanwa goes, like, I don't, I'm not in love with her contract, but you can do worse for a backup big. And I think her, you know, like this, this it's interesting. She's actually getting paid less year by year rather than more. So that's, I don't think... Is, has, has any other player been that like she signed three years guaranteed, but she's going to be making less in 2022 than she is in 2021, which is, which I found interesting. But anyway, um, assuming that they are going to be like kind of load managing Sylvia Fowles, who is a unrestricted free agent after this season. Anyway, I think they needed to get some, some depth in there. And I think that may still be their one weakness is I'd like to see another really solid front court player there. But you could also go small with uh, Dantas at the five and Collier at the four. So the one hair in the soup, I would say, is the whole Sim situation. I'm not. I'm not going to say that they like they bungled it or anything because I don't think they did. But everyone and their brother knew that Ariel Powers wanted the guaranteed money, so they were kind of forced to attach a 2022 first rounder in order to unload Sims. And the question I have is: three years of Ariel Powers on guaranteed max money worth that? Yes or no? Do you think? Well, I. Th- I like that they were able to get Indiana's second round pick back in that deal. Like that could be something where they are moving down like six slots in the draft. True. You know True. what I mean? So it's not, I think the worst thing in the world. They ended up bringing in at minimum two players who can play heavy playoff rotations for them. I'm sorry. Did, did you give your grade or did you have something more? That you wanted to say? Uh, I give them an A minus. I, I think the bottom line is like Reeve clearly believes his team has an opportunity to compete now. And they're also set up pretty decently moving forward as well. Granted, um, it's nice having back-to-back rookies of the year as two of your best players because you're investing minuscule money in like two of your best players. But what it is what it is. You know, um, Reeb is one of the best in the business, and I think she uh, she made up pretty well. Yeah, but to kind of answer your question or to build off it at least, like one of Powers or Dantas could be the fifth starter for this team. It kind of remains to be seen, but I feel like Reeve will go with Dantas and, and Powers could be a max player coming off the bench, which I think is, I think is fine, you know, with, with kind of everything else that they have going on. And I imagine that both of these players 
McBride and Powers could have found max deals elsewhere if Minnesota wasn't available or, or interested in that. So it's not like I think there was this, I guess, massive overpay in terms of like what the market would have given them. I think they, they did as well as could have been expected in terms of upgrading the roster, like some of the better players available, like Chelsea Gray. It seems like she just kind of had her heart set on uh, Las Vegas you know, Natasha Howard, Candace Parker, like those players that I just don't think were coming to Minnesota. You know, my, my only real quibble is Achanwa starting at $164,000, three years protected. It, it is nice that it's declining in value. And I like that they were able to pay her the most now when they kind of had the most cap room and she'll be less expensive as they need to take care of, you know, Collier next off season and Dangerfield the year after that. But protected veteran status all three years for Natalie Chanwa. Like that could get hairy if, if Sill is still around by the time Dangerfield comes up for ner- her new deal, then you're looking at maybe having to give up another asset for, for that contract. So, you know, when you look at the, the other deals handed out for, you know, bigs in the kind of Natalie Chanwa neighborhood, you know, borderline starters, you know, with the exception of the John Tell Lavender deal, which I, I think is inexplicable in a lot of ways, like they're all either less years, less money, and or unprotected. So this is kind of like the the highest ballpark outside of Lavender for for this type of player, you know, non-superstar or even star player big. So um, 165K for if things go well, the player who's probably your eighth player in the rotation, I think is a lot and and three years is a lot and having them all be protected is a lot. So if I can say a little bit more on powers as well, like a lower max for someone who has never really been a high level starter for a full season. Like this definitely has room to backfire, right? Like I, I really like powers game. I think you do as well, but, and she, like, I think what she brings to this team is something that they can really use in terms of, you know, all the things we've talked about before, but, but it's a heavy investment for someone who has never really been a max player for a full season up to this point. Like she was a reserve player uh, in Washington and then she, you know, pretty much played six games last season. So uh, and she might not even regularly close games for this team if they want to go with big, like a bigger lineup with, you know, Dangerfield, McBride, Collier, Dantas Falls. Like you can definitely see this team closing games with that lineup, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, so the Sims deal for them, I think, to get Indiana's pick, as I mentioned, I think that was good to get rid of a, a contract that that they had to move. So I I think I was a little bit lower than you. Oh, the other thing we should mention, getting a first next year for Makia Herbert-Harrigan, you know, a player who All right. probably was not going to be in this team's rotation and, and definitely not their player rotation. You know, a nice piece of business for them. I ended up going with a B plus because like like you had mentioned, like they, they still don't have necessarily like the superstar go-to wing player. I, I think there's just kind of enough offense with, with all like the uh the, the sum of the parts as they say to to kind of make it work and i expect them to be very competitive but there are some things i think you can kind of nitpick with their their offseason i agree okay moving on to the new york liberty sure so the liberty they brought in uh natasha howard benija laney sammy whitcomb and the number six pick they lost the number one pick steph talbot and amanda zowie b uh, still left to be decided for them who's going to end up coming over this year you know, they have, you know, between uh, Rebecca Allen, Maureen Johannes, uh, and which of these 2020 rookies can, you know, end up making this roster. They currently have 14 players signed uh, with Rebecca Allen still unsigned, as well as the aforementioned number six pick. So, um, you know, I think this team is going to be good. They're going to be fun. They're going to be competitive next season. I don't think there's really any arguing in that. They used the number one pick last year. Sabrina hardly played due to injury. They were bad enough to get the number one pick this year, and they ended up turning that pick and a lot of cap space into a pretty decent roster. 
they spent a lot of money to kind of accelerate this timeline. And they also have like some decent money coming off the books after this season and only Laney and Howard for now will be under contract by the time Sabrina comes due for her next deal. So, so they may have to take care of Mourinho Hannes after this season, but even if they do that, they, they should still be able to bring in another pretty good free agent. The only question I have with this team really, and, and what they did this off season, I guess, is whether Laney was the right piece on the wing. Like, I think I'm a little bit less sure of that than, than other people are. And I think the offensive fit here could be less than ideal. If Laney's off ball game, you know, if when she doesn't have the ball in her hand, she's maybe getting guarded more like her Indiana days than, you know, last season when she shot like 40% on threes on some pretty low volume. But that that's really kind of my only quibble. Like I think flipping Kia Nurse and Megan Walker, uh, who I did not mention above for two first round picks, like that's a really nice move for them. Like neither one of those two players, it seemed were kind of figuring too prominently into their plans, obviously, and to get two first, I think was was pretty good. So I, I've kind of went on for a while here, but I ended up going with a B plus for New York rather. Oh, than after all that time, you went with a B plus. Okay, I went with an A, but because uh, I don't really find much to dislike about this free agency period. Uh, I do hear you on the Laney concern. I think I might have rather seen Kayla McBride go here, but I mean that's that that could have just been her decision, you know. And I think the, the defensive impact that Laney will have particularly guarding the pick and roll was, is going to be major for them. But like at, at the end of the day, just, just looking at this, at this big picture, they're able to acquire a defensive player of the year candidate who figures to be a very good fit with their franchise player and Sabrina Unescu on offense as well. And Natasha Howard isn't like, she's still her best years may still be in front of her too. So like, that's, that's kind of like the best of both worlds here. Like you said, they accelerated the rebuild. It's not like they're, they're locked into a lot of money because as you alluded to, Laisha Clarendon and Kia Stokes are coming off the books next year. And it's not like, you know, okay, you gave up the number one pick, but I mean, you do what you got, you won two games last year. You do what you got to do to improve this roster moving forward as well as just this year and getting UNESCO back from injury is going to be pretty big as well. So I guess you could argue that they bought high on both Lanny and Whitcomb, but Again, going back to the salary, I don't think it negatively impacts the team's trajectory, even if both players regress somewhat. Like, they didn't have the money to keep Zowie B, but who cares? Bench is looking a little thin right now, but who cares? <laughs> Again, you don't really want to take the mystery box approach to all these players they had last year. Like, oh, well, you know, Willoughby could have been something. Odom could have been something. Walker could have been something. Like, you won two games, you know? So, I think – and they've also got uh, Rebecca Allen and Mario Hannes stashed. So, there's no need to really be overly aggressive or – or overly or invest too much in these young unknown players when you've got better options uh, in the wings. So I found pretty much nothing to dislike about this off season. You know, I, they had to unload nurse, but it is what it is. I give them an A. Yeah. I can't argue too much with, with what you said there. I think I just, there's a little bit more skepticism on my side as to whether the Laney fit is, is kind of that long-term answer, but you know, they're going to be in a great position moving forward. So uh, let's move on to Phoenix who, uh, has been pretty quiet. They brought in Kia Nurse and Megan Walker in the aforementioned deal with New York. They re-signed Diana Taurasi and they re-signed Kia Vaughn. Uh, they lost their first-round pick this year, their first-round pick next year, uh, Shatori Walker-Kimbrough and Nia Coffey. And still left to be decided for them is not much. They have 11 players on roster currently and no additional room to bring anyone else in. They don't have their first-round pick, so the players they have signed are, are probably the players that are going to make this team. Yeah. Um, 
not much going on here. Not much they could have done. They've already got so many players making so much money on protected salary. They have four players making a combined nearly 855K, which is like roughly 62, 63% of the cap going into four players. Um, and we don't know what Bria Hartley's health is. We hope she, we hope she's back healthy next year, but you know, you don't know what that, um, I think this just comes this off season, just assuming that Donna Trazi was going to resign for the Supermax. just, it was going to happen, right? She is the franchise. This just comes down to whether or not you think Kia Nurse and Megan Walker are worth two first round picks. I might be a little hesitant there, but for this team, I'm going to say yes, because we talked about this last week. Nurse gives them something that that was sorely lacking last year. And that's a clear uh, starter at the small forward position who can play a lot of minutes and impact both ends of the floor, which is something they were struggling to find all of last season. Um, And then as far as, you know, Walker is concerned, she had a bad year, but you know, she, she was coming off a COVID diagnosis. This is a buy low situation for her. And I think if you're looking at, if she stayed in school, because she left uh, UConn a year early, if she had stayed in school, she would probably be in draft lottery consideration this season. So when you talk about the picks, eh, that kind of evens out a little bit. So I think this has the potential to backfire long-term when you look at the, the money going forward, but that's what makes this nurse deal so good. She's only making 70 K this year. She's going to be a restricted free agent next year, which might get a little, you know, like someone might throw the bag at her, but for now, I think it's good. So I give them B plus. Yeah. I went with a B minus. Like if you want to tell me that giving up two first round picks for Kia nurse and Megan Walker is an overvaluation of those two players. You know, I can't really argue, but I also don't think you can argue that it improved their roster for this year and mm-hmm. that it raised their ceiling for this year. And it did so without really mortgaging too much opportunity in the future outside right. of those two picks. So, you know, these, both these players, like you mentioned, are, are inexpensive options and they didn't really have to like lose any depth elsewhere to, to bring them in. So, um, you know, maybe Diana Trossi goes down with a back injury this season and that second pick that they gave up turns into a lottery pick. And uh, you know, it, this deal might look bad if that's the case, but Outside of that, like they have a very specific window, obviously, and that's the years that DT has left, and they're doing everything they can to maximize it. And I like this deal, you know, better than some other deals they've done to try to maximize it in years past. So I, I don't really mind them pushing these chips in as a service to the player that is their franchise. You know, I, I'm not going to give them an A or anything like that, but I did go with the B minus. I mean, like to your point, maybe if you're playing a video game, maybe if this is WNBA 2K2021. Then you can say, okay, we're getting old. It's time to rebuild. But that's in this situation, that was not going to happen. So um, they, did, they did a good job of pushing their, as you said, pushing their chips onto the table. So uh, moving on to Seattle, uh, there's a lot to unpack here. There is a lot to unpack here. And I'm, I'm very curious as to how you graded this one. Uh, they brought in Candace Dupree, Katie Lou Samuelson, Makia Herbert Harrigan, Steph Talbot, and Tamara Young. They lost some pretty good players in Natasha Howard, Alicia Clark, and Sammy Whitcomb, as well as maybe some some back-end depth from last year. Crystal Langhorn, of course, retired as well. Uh, Still left to be decided for this team. Sue Bird's new contract needs to be finalized. Uh, We got to kind of figure out who's going to come over in terms of their international players. Who's going to make this roster uh, without Sue Bird currently signed uh, their first-round pick or their two second-round picks? They currently have 14 players on roster, so some folks are probably going to get cut. They lost two starters and their best bench player from a team that just won a title. So that's uh, not, great. not great. But but Howard always seems to kind of be out the door, right? That, that one I think is less surprising for folks. 
Clark getting near max money for two years definitely complicated things. I think there's a good chance that Alicia Clark is worth near max money in her age 33 and 34 seasons, but I can't really kill them for letting her walk. I guess it's just more the combination of losing both of them, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's and we said that last couple of weeks, right? Uh, and they obviously did lose Clark for nothing as opposed to, you know, they were able to get two first for Natasha Howard leaving and, and turn both of those two picks into players who could maybe possibly fill a need at the wing. Uh, they were able to turn Sammy Wickham into a reasonable facsimile of, of what Sammy Wickham brings you at much <laughs> less money uh, if Steph Talbot comes over. You know, we talked about the Dupree signing at length last week, uh, a huge one-year deal, but it is just a one-year deal. And we talked last week about how she might actually be able to kind of help this team in, in a more competitive situation in a lesser offensive role, surrounded by a, a lot better talent. Um, really, for me, the only place that this team really deserves to get killed is the Katie Lou Samuelson deal. Like, otherwise, yeah. I completely understand kind of wanting to have completely clean books coming into next offseason with both Jewel Lloyd and Brianna Stewart hitting unrestricted free agency. I think I might have said last week that they would be restricted free agents, which of course is not correct. They have the option of uh, walking away for nothing. So for all the reasons I just kind of killed Los Angeles a couple minutes ago for kind of scraping together consolation signings for multiple years with a monster free agent class coming up next year, like I have to give Seattle a little bit of credit for not doing that and keeping everything clean to maybe bring back their two young stars plus like a veteran, maybe a star. Like why wouldn't this team think they have a chance at bringing John Quill Jones in next off season. Like I'm sure JJ and Stewie think playing together is going swimmingly overseas. <laughs> like obviously they got worse, but I think they did pretty good in making most of those moves, you know, up until the Katie Lou deal, like, you know, not really have much kind of long-term ramifications uh, or, you know, they, they kind of got the best they could out of, of some of those things that, that, you know, getting Talbot in exchange for Whitcomb leaving for a lot more money, getting two firsts for, for Howard's. Uh, so they, they gave themselves enough options to still be competitive, but they did trade the first overall pick for Katie Lou Samuelson. So I ended up going with a C minus. Oh, as did I. Okay, cool. Um, so, I mean, you, you explained that very, very well. I think not, neither of us really hate the Dupree signing as we, as we talked about uh, at length. I agree that, you know, it, it's less of Howard leaving and Clark leaving less than, you know, as you said, the combination of them leaving, that's, that's really a killer. Um, I'm kind of wondering if both of them wanted to leave, you know, I, Howard might have, because, you know, I, I think there was, there was talk of her, I forget who said this, but she wanted to be, she said herself, right. She wanted to be league MVP, right. That wasn't going to happen on this team. Um, so maybe she wanted a bigger role and Hey, that's free agency for you. You, you secure your money. If they didn't want to cough up that money for her, understandable. I, I also understand if, Alicia Clark, they didn't want to re-sign her for a lot of money in her age 34 season. It's disappointing that Howard didn't stay because they could have had an amazing front court pairing with her and Brianna Stewart moving forward for many, many years. But it is what it is. Like, I, I get it. As you said, it's, it happens. It's business. They were able to get a pretty decent return for her. But ah, this, they traded part of that return for Katie Lou Samuelson. Like, Stephen... One thing I really that really gets me is bad asset management. I think this is just the worst. I I I, I don't like this asset management at all. Um, all the storm have for Howard now. All the storm have to show for Howard is Samuelson, Herbert Harrigan, who I think is okay. I think she could be an, an okay player, and a couple of second round picks for next year. I like the, the draft next year, but come on, like that's not enough. 
No, no, it's not enough at all. Like it's, it's, it's not just like the individual moves. I, I think we're, we're in agreement on this. It's not the individual. It's not having to trade Natasha Howard in itself. It's what the end game is. Like, I think when, when we both saw the news that they were trading the kid, like they, they got, when we saw the news that they traded Natasha Howard, like, okay, they got the first round pick. They got the number one pick. Fine. Good. That's an asset. Now, what are you going to do with that asset? You're going to flip it for, for a player who might've been cut from her team anyway. Like, I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand. The only thing keeping this from D territory for me is what you alluded to the long-term financial flexibility and uncertainty, uncertainty of which party kind of forced the action in the Howard trade, because they will, they do have, as you said, a good competitive window in the future, assuming they invest long-term in Stewart and Lloyd. Now, if Lloyd wants to leave or if Stewart wants to leave next year, then things may get a little, a little interesting, right? But as of now, it's middle of the road, all things considered. Yeah, and they could have completely clean books to bring, like, to, to just completely retool next season yeah. with, with Stuart, Lloyd, and kind of whatever else they wanted to do from there to fill out the roster. Because people uh, want to play with those players, right? So, as you said. Uh, so, let, let's move on to Washington. They brought in Alicia Clark. They re-signed Tina Charles. They re-signed Latoya Sanders. They traded a third-round pick for Erica McCall, and they re-signed the trio of uh, Jackie Gemelos, Shug Sutton, and Stella Johnson to training camp contracts. They lost in free agency Ariel Powers and Tiana Hawkins, and still left to be decided for this team. Uh, Emma Mieseman re-signing and possibly coming over or not coming over. Natasha Cloud re-signing, and you know which of those training camp contracts will make the roster. Uh, they don't have any draft picks this year, so um, whatever of those players make the team, as well as you know N- Natasha Cloud's contract and, and Mieseman. So why don't you take the lead on this one, if you don't mind? Okay. I had to kind of look at this from a, a realistic perspective. It's very difficult when you have so many unrestricted free agents that you want to bring back. Obviously, Tebow would have wanted to keep uh, both Charles and Powers and Mieseman, you know, but it's just not realistic. So Bringing the whole band back from 2019 Sans Tolliver would have been cool. Wasn't going to happen. So I'm still firmly in the Tina Charles good for this team camp. And it's not like they signed her for massive money. I think Clark right now is a better player than Powers short term. And looking at it from the, like the team's perspective, I know, you know, there was, there was talk about, you know, uh, being strung along or somebody being disrespected or you know, a lot of stuff going back and forth. He said, she said sort of thing. The bottom line is that the Mystics had a lot of unrestricted free agents to sign and not enough space to sign every single one of them. So they're kind of in a time crunch here. Powers has every right as an unrestricted free agent to explore her options. I get that. But if the Mystics waited around too long, you know, there's a chance she'd leave anyway and they wouldn't be able to sign. They wouldn't have the chance to sign Alicia Clark anymore or Tina Charles wouldn't have resigned, you know? So we're grading the Washington Mystics free agency, not Ariel Powers free agency. Um, it hurts to not be able to resign Emma Mieseman, but there's a legit reason for it. So I'm not really factoring that in here, in here. And I'm not really sure what to make of the Natasha Cloud situation. Like there's word, word is she's kind of upset. Um, and I understand why, you know, cause they signed two unrestricted free agents who have done nothing for the Mystics thus far ahead of her, you know, which who she won a championship with them and it leaves her with less money. But again, they're unrestricted free agents. Cloud has exclusive, like the Mystics own Cloud's negotiating rights. It's, it's a different situation. So I understand why things are getting a little sticky there, but I think up until now, the Mystics have done a pretty good job. So I gave them a B plus. 
Okay. Alicia Clark, I think, is a, a perfect fit for what they want to do. And everyone else they signed so far, and like we said, uh, the cloud and possibly Miesemann, uh things still needs to be figured out. But uh, everyone else they've signed so far is for a one-year deal. They, they didn't lock Tina Charles, like you said, into some huge long-term contract. They didn't give Ariel Powers, you know, coming off six really great games, the max when they have Maisha Hines-Allen and Ariel Atkins coming up next offseason. As of right now, their books look exceedingly clean to re-sign those players to, you know, market value contracts, you know, whatever kind of uh, that the market demands that they get in free agency and, and have kind of a core roster of Deladon, Atkins, Clark, and Maisha Hines-Allen, which is a pretty nice place to start, you know. And with regards to the, the cloud thing, wanting um, multiple years and, and probably a raise, you know, all of their other expired contracts signed the kind of uh, standard Mike Tebow suspended deal for the salary they would have made the previous season. And Cloud has yet to, and I think that is noteworthy. And I imagine Cloud rightfully sees her value as, as higher than that and wants multiple years and protected. I would. Um, yeah, I would too. She's pretty good and, and they they need cloud for sure uh they and they do have exclusive negotiating rights for her but i also don't think you want to like burn that bridge right like you don't want to force her hand so much that she does just take that that one year deal at whatever she would have made last year and then she's already had her mind made up that she's leaving next off season right. so i think you you have to be a little bit more delicate than that I, I understand that they might have like a team policy or something but you know sometimes you you have to break policy for really good players uh, so we'll see how that develops. It, it would be nice if there was a resolution there uh, coming into this podcast, but you know, they, they don't, <laughs> they don't run on our time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so if they waive uh, Erica McCall in one of these training camp contracts, they can bring both of these players back, Misaman and Cloud at right around the lower max, which it, it probably doesn't make sense to do that with Misaman for a one-year deal. Like you, you know, given all of, all of her commitments, you'll, you'll probably want to get a second year on that uh, where she'll be with you for a full season. So for now, I went with an, an A minus. I, I do think Clark just makes this team. I mean, I, I don't want to say she makes them so much better than Powers did, but she just kind of fits in a lot better than Powers. And I do, I, you know, she brings a little bit, not even a little bit, she brings more switchability. Like there, there's nothing that they want to do that Clark isn't the perfect fit for, mm-hmm. I guess. So, so I went with an A minus, and I think they're going to be really good if they can figure out these last couple things. I agree. Okay. That concludes our, our lengthy and comprehensive free agency grades. Again, this is only for now. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. I know y'all who listen probably have different thoughts on this, and we'd love to hear them. If you want to hit us up at Double Down WNBA or at our personal accounts at Nemchuk E or at Trinkwald, we are on Google Play. We are on Apple Podcasts. We are on Spotify. So if you'd like to subscribe, rate, leave a review if you want, that'd be awesome. Until next time. Thank you so much for listening and we will uh we'll see you around.